Amen. All right. Well, it's great to see all of you. Um, I know it's getting to a busy time of the semester right before Thanksgiving. I feel like teachers always seem to really pile up the work before a break, you know? So glad y'all are here tonight, though. Um, so uh, one thing here in RUF, we really try to be a relational ministry. Uh, and so meaning I don't want you to just come to large group and not be known. Um, that it's one thing we're striving, we're walking in, we're trying, we fail, we fail sometimes. Uh, but all that to say that I, I would love to get to know you more. Um, I feel like there's other people here that part of what it means to be in this group is to know one another. Um, and so all, all that to say that um, please don't hesitate to reach out to me. Um, I'll try to reach out to you, but um, I'd love to just learn ways I can continue to walk with all of you while you're in college, while you're on campus. Um, so we say this every week, you're never so bad, you're beyond the reach of God's grace, and you're never so good that you're beyond the need of God's grace, that we're defined here not by how good we behave or talk or think, as if we just gather here and sort of pat each other on the back. Um, but at the same time, we're also not defined by the way we screwed up this week, our failures. Um, the one, um, that, that one of the things you may enter into this room tonight overcome with, um, just that one thing you did, maybe the night before, maybe a couple hours ago, that one thing you've been trying to quit, or that one relationship that has gone sideways, or uh, maybe the depression and anxiety you feel, that those things don't define us, that we, we are here and we are defined by God's work on our behalf, um, his movement towards us, his grace and love for us. That's what defines you right now, today. Um, and so with that said, we respond to God's grace here. Not to earn his favor, but because we are favored as his people, which is good news. And so this semester, we have uh, we've basically been studying what, um, what does God's people look like on a day-to-day -day basis? How do we walk in college as God's people? What will the character of someone following Jesus look like as you go through life here? And that's why we've been studying the Beatitudes. We've been doing one per week. Because these Beatitudes, they give us a picture of a truly thriving and flourishing Christian in a world that's often anti-Christian. In a world that can be hard. So, such as maybe what some of you have experienced while you've been here at Texas Tech or throughout your life. And uh, I don't know if you've noticed this with these Beatitudes, but really you can, you can break them down into sort of two groups. The first four Beatitudes we looked at were blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the mourners, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And all of these blessings are to those in need, right? They have this inner disposition of people who need, <laughs> Uh, it's primarily those who recognize their inward struggle and need for God, that, that you can group, group these four, first four into kind of this inward disposition, um, that this is what characterizes a Christian 
inwardly. It's not the prideful ones. It's not the ones that are super knowledgeable, that have all the answers, that don't have any doubts. Or it's not the ones that just have their lives together, the self-righteous ones. That's not it. It's, it's those who recognize their need. Those are the first four Beatitudes. And then the past couple of weeks, we've looked at blessed are the merciful and those who are pure in heart. Today, we'll be looking at uh, blessed are the peacemakers. Uh, and then a couple of weeks from now, we'll be looking at blessed are those who are persecuted. And, and these are uh, sort of an outward um, life that shapes who they are, that inwardly, they recognize their need, and then outwardly, it does something to them. They are merciful to, to others. They've ordered their lives in such a way as to bring all their actions, all their desires, to bear on God's desire for them, seeking to follow him in every way. Because your heart is pure, it's focused on one thing, pleasing God, loving him, serving him. And so unlike the first four, these remaining Beatitudes, they're primarily uh, what a Christian looks like outwardly. What will they look like outwardly as, as you see them? Um, which brings us to today's Beatitude found in Matthew 5, verse 9. It's printed there in your bulletins. Uh, and so let me read it, and then we will pray and unpack it a little bit more. Here it is. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Let's pray. Dear God, thanks for uh, your word. Thank you for uh, making it available to us. Um, thank you for giving us an opportunity to be able to hear from you. I pray that uh, we would um, right now trust you, trust what it is you say, that it's good for us and that it shapes us and it reforms us into a people um, that serve you and love you and are restored. It's in Christ's name. Amen. So uh, one thing my son, Wynn, has started doing is uh, we'll be playing outside, and I'll, I'll occasionally I'll look up, and Wynn will have dropped his pants and just starts peeing uh, on something, wherever he is, just urinating, whatever, on the spot he's in. Uh, and it makes me think of this story my old pastor used to say and uh, tell in Memphis about his son, which now I feel even more connected to in a, in a whole new way. Um, basically, uh, he was in the kitchen and his kids were playing outside. And all of a sudden he just hears this sort of shriek from his daughter. And so he, he gets really scared. He runs outside, makes sure everything's okay. And he witnesses his three-year-old son peeing on his five-year-old daughter. Um, and I'm preparing myself for that moment when Wynn decides to pee on Darby. Uh, I hope it doesn't happen, but... Uh, so anyways, what my pastor did was uh, he, he snatched up his son. His name is Tucker. He takes him inside and he says this, Tucker, you are a Moore. His last name was Moore. You are a Moore. And so Tucker, one thing about being a Moore is that we don't pee on each other. <laughs> he could have been just playing in his territory, right? <laughs> but that's one thing they do. Yeah, as a moor, we don't pee on each other. Now, the reason I bring this up is because I think it's somewhat of an illustration 
uh, for us about how God relates to us. Uh, Hear me out. Here's what I mean. That essentially God snatches us up and he says, son or daughter, you're mine. And therefore, because you're mine, you don't pee on one another. (laughs) That God, hear me out. God, he's constantly reminding us through his word about what it means to be a part of his family, what to to live as his people, that if you are here and you're a Christian, it means you've been adopted into God's family. You've been adopted into his family. And so we learn what that means to be a part of his family, to do what our father does, to do what the family does. Now, Tucker wasn't kicked out of the family, even though he did that, right? It was a moment that his dad was able to communicate to him more about what it means to live as a more, what it means to be a part of his family. And so this verse, blessed are the peacemakers, it's tied to this promise of being a son and a daughter of God. And what Jesus is saying is that part of what it means to be in God's family is to do what the family does. Is to do what he does. That he is a peacemaker. And so I want us to look at two implications for being called sons and daughters of God. That because we are sons and daughters of God, it it does two things we can can get from this. We, We recognize the peace that we have received. Number one. And then number two, I want us to see that we demonstrate the peace that we have received. So number one, as sons and daughters of God, we recognize the peace that we have received. Um, so first off, it's important to define what, what, what is peace? What is meant here by peace? That often we think of peace as sort of this internal disposition, you know, this feeling that we have of calm, free from anxiety or fear. Um, I don't know if any of you ever watched the 90s sitcom Seinfeld. Yeah, I think they put it on Netflix. So there's, a, there's an episode called Serenity Now, all right? And, and in this episode, George's dad, who has an anger problem, is supposed to just shout out Serenity Now every time he gets angry. And so basically the entire episode, he's just angrily shouting out Serenity Now. Um, And it's funny, but that's a lot of times what we think of. Like, this is peace. Like, just this inner feeling, this inner disposition, uh, a feeling we have. Or, if not internally, we think of peace sort of as the John Lennon song of Imagine. You know, it says, imagine there's no countries. It isn't hard to do. Nothing to kill or die for. And no religion, too. You know, imagine all the people. Live in life in peace. You. Uh, that, that if internally it's a feeling, externally, we feel like it's a world free from conflict. A life of comfort. No wars. You know, just peace. Let's just be at peace. Calmness. But biblically here, the word for peace in Greek, it's erene. Uh, in Hebrew, it's the more common word that you've heard of. It's called shalom. Right? Y'all heard that word? And this term for peace is much more than just a feeling or a life that's comfortable 
and free from conflict, that it was more about community wholeness, about community flourishing, about thriving, about living a life, living in a life as it should be. That's peace. That's shalom. Uh, I'll be visiting my aunt for Thanksgiving in a couple weeks, and she lives in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And last time we were there, she had just moved into this new house and was taking me around her backyard. And the person who lived there before her was just this avid gardener. And she had these different types of plants and bushes and trees that she had planted, and all of them were beautiful, with just different flowers that had bloomed, luscious green leaves. And when we were sitting on the back porch, there are all these different types of birds that were just flying in, coming, sitting among the flowers, nesting. And we were just enjoying being out there in the beauty of it. That, it. that it was just working. That it was flourishing. And that this is much more the picture the Bible paints of what shalom is. Of a thriving and a flourishing garden. And so when you think about it, where, where do you think of a garden in the Bible? That the ultimate picture we see in the Bible is of the first, very first two chapters in the Bible of Genesis, Genesis 1 and 2, where it's in the beginning, the Garden of Eden, right? When the world was as it should be, uh, when God declared everything good, and Adam and Eve were walking and enjoying God's creation together, they were caring for the animals, they were overseeing the earth, that God had put, put them in charge of his creation to care for it, to flourish it, to see it's flourishing. They were enjoying perfect relationship with God. He was literally walking with them. They could be with him relationally in ways that were unhindered. That is the ultimate picture of shalom. Does that sound amazing? Of wholeness, of life as it was intended. And so the opposite of shalom the opposite of peace is what we see in Genesis 3. When sin enters the world and it becomes fragmented and sick and broken and harmful, death enters the world. That literally a war begins. And that war is with God. That man rebels against the shalom he has been freely given, the peace that he has been freely given. That shalom has been completely ransacked and corrupted. And so ultimately, the Bible, the whole biblical story, is about God restoring peace. About Jesus restoring shalom. That's why he came. To bring about peace. To bring about the world as it was meant to be about God making peace with his world back to the way it, it, he intended it. Uh, and so peacemaking is what Jesus came to do, taking on flesh, living, dying, and rising again. This is how we are at peace. That is how we are at peace. This is how we can even begin to think about any peace. It's that God refused to leave you. He refused to leave us. But he made the first move towards us in peace. He made peace with us. God, perfectly at peace in and of himself, 
perfectly satisfied, decided to not leave us, to move towards us. The rebellious ones, the enemies that were alienated from God, he decided to make the first move of peace. Listen to Jesus' words in John 20. After he had been resurrected and the disciples are fearful, they don't know what's going to happen. Imagine they're boarded up in a house together. Like these are real people and their leader had died. I mean, just think about that for a second. Like they're boarded up in a house together, just not knowing what's going to happen. Are they going to be killed? Are they going to be, you know, are people going to come after them? I mean, it says uh, because they were fearful of the Jews, that they were scared. And so they didn't know what to do. So they, they're, they're just in this house together. And then Jesus appears. And what's the first words Jesus says to them? He says, peace be with you. And guys, he is saying so much more than just a greeting. Like, hey, peace, guys. <laughs> I'm back. <laughs> That's not what he's saying. He, he, he's saying so much more than just, you know, don't be anxious. Just be at peace, man. He's saying, I have accomplished every single thing for you to be made whole. I have made peace for you. Peace be with you. Shalom is yours again because of what I've just done. It's yours again. So I ask you guys today, do you really hear these words of Jesus to you? Do you hear him say to you, peace be with you? It's finished. I've brought you back into shalom to experience true lasting peace with me. Do you hear Jesus say this to you? Do you really believe he says this to you? When you are wrecked with anxiety and you are fearful and you're boarded up in your room and you don't know what's next, you don't know what job you're going to have. You don't know who you're going to marry. You don't know what to do with your life. Do you hear Jesus come in there and look at you and say, peace be with you? Or when you are overcome with your guilt and shame and you failed and your addiction or your struggle is ever apparent before you, do you hear Jesus enter into that room, look at you and say, peace be with you? Or when you're surrounded by all the noise on campus and you've scrolled on TikTok for hours that day? Or you've, you've looked on Instagram and you've compared yourself to every single post that is on there? Or you look in the mirror and you've hated how you've looked? Do you hear Jesus look at you and say, peace be with you? I have accomplished your shalom. I think when we are really wrestling in the chaos of life, this beatitude, it calls us to look back at the peace that Christ has made for you to be called a child of God. That you are called his son or his daughter and it's not because of the stuff you've done. It's not because of the stuff you're doing for him. It's not because you've got your life in order. But it's because he chose to bring peace to you. He made the first move. He brought about your wholeness, your shalom. And so I start with this because if we are part of God's family as Christians, 
then we do what the family does. And you will never be a peacemaker unless you recognize the peace that has been made for you. You will never. So therefore, you can participate in what the family does, what the father does, when you recognize the peace that's been done for you. So number two, we demonstrate the peace that we have received. So if we've received peace from Jesus, it's only natural that if we have been adopted into his family, then we become like him. We become more like him. We become like the family. This is our family. You're, you're doing what the family does now. You're a peacemaker. We become peacemakers because we are part of God's family. A family of a God, of a father, who is the father of peace. Therefore, we are a people who make peace. And again, we do this in a way uh, that Jesus made peace. That Jesus is the, is the one that shows us how to live as the family lives. Jesus, uh, who moved toward his enemies. Not to attack them. Not to tell them they're wrong. Not to hurt them. Not to make them feel terrible. Not to bring shame to them. Uh, not to bring them more pain that they have brought him. No, Jesus moved towards his enemies to love them, to love them. That's the way Jesus made peace. Notice Jesus doesn't repay evil with evil. He doesn't fight fire with fire, but he also doesn't just ignore the evil by just removing himself from it or isolating from it, letting those people just get what's coming to them. You know, just step back. Okay, I'm just going to kind of have my own thing over here. Let them be them. I'll be me. Now, one thing you'll notice as you read the Gospels is that there's a lot of people that oppose Jesus in them. A lot. And he is constantly interacting with these people called the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, who often directly come at him with conflict and opposition. But one of the implications of this, of so many of those stories, is that Jesus didn't leave them. That there's still story after story of him interacting with them. He actually doesn't shy away from having conversations with them. He still ate with them. He still answered their questions. They mattered to him. He still, um, like, he still became friends with them. There's stories of them just being friendly to each other. He didn't ignore them. And sometimes we have a tendency to think that, you know, quote unquote, keeping the peace is really just not saying anything or doing anything with people that we disagree with. It's why when we go to Thanksgiving dinner, you know, everyone keeps silent so we don't offend Uncle Bob and Aunt Sally, you know, for their political views, right? You know, just keep the peace. No, becoming a peacemaker means that you recognize the single most important thing about you is that you are a child of God. And you're at peace with God. And so you can freely engage the other person and not be overcome with the anxiety of what they think of you or constantly needing affirmation from others uh, so, that you, so that you just have to keep people happy. No, being a peacemaker means you are secure enough to move and engage with anyone, not to oppose them, but seeking their best interest. Because you know you have all the peace you really need. 
It means you can really care about the opinions of Uncle Bob or Aunt Sally. Does anybody have an Uncle Bob or Aunt Sally? Like literally, Uncle Bob and Aunt Sally? Okay, all right. There's one in every family, okay? Uh, uh, yeah, so it means that you care about the relationships you are in. You care about the person in front of you and are looking for ways to bring wholeness in everything you do. It means you care about all the ways there isn't peace in the world. There isn't shalom in the world. And you, as part of God's family, you long to make it right. You long to participate in making things right. That you can actively look for those groups on campus that seemingly oppose Christians. And you can move towards them. Not to fight them. Not to arm wrestle them. Not to make them feel wrong. But to love them. To make peace with them. It means you can make the first move towards others. Because Jesus made the first move towards you. So as I close, the second part of this verse, the the promise that is attached to it says, for they shall be called children of God. And often I've just automatically assumed that uh, this is God declaring us, calling us his children, that we're peacemakers and so God calls us his children. And please know that that is true. Of course that's true. But what if it's also that one of the main things that people see in Christians, is that they are those who loving, lovingly seek out others to bring them peace. And they can't help but just call them God's children. That when they see Christians, they can't help but say, those are people that are peacemakers. They are sons of God. They are daughters of God. That they, that they can't help it but looking at them. Because one of the things that defines them is that they are a people that move towards those that oppose them in love. Guys, we live in a very divided time. I mean, in some ways, it's no coincidence that that today is election day. And you can turn on the news right now, and all you will see is a divided culture and divided opinions and people um, making the other the enemy, uh, dividing Turning on the news, you know, see people that oppose each other, whether it's politics, views, racial issues. And what we greatly need is a people that are willing to make peace with those that it would actually be outright crazy to think that they could ever be in relationship. But Jesus made peace with you. You who were completely opposed. You who rejected them. What if, what would it look like if RUF uh, became a, a group that doesn't just have people here that all agree with one another? Just all, all agree about the same things? You know? Sing Kumbaya together? Just a... Just all have the same opinions, thoughts. We all look the same. But what if it was a place that you knew people could come to and experience shalom? 
Experience a group of people that you know will always be there and love you and are for you. Not because of all the ways that you agree with them. Not because of your political views, not because of your lifestyle. But what if it became a place where people are actively striving to move towards the other with peace, making peace because of the way Jesus moved towards us? Let's pray. Dear Lord, this is hard. Uh, Just even by me, Saying this, I feel like an imposter because of all the ways I don't move towards people that I feel hurt by. From all the ways that I reject people because of uh, just what, what I feel they believe or represent. God, I need help. Make me more like you. Make this group a place that moves towards people in love with the way that Jesus moved towards others. Uh, because we, rep- we recognize so much of the way that you've moved towards us, God. The way that you have made peace with us. And that frees us. That frees us to walk in wholeness of life, in newness of life, and to move towards others in love. It's in Christ's name. Amen.